Hello, my dudes. Welcome back to my series, Internet Analysis, where I like to research and discuss things relevant to social issues and media. Today, I'm standing, and we're going to talk about RV families. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Have you ever thought about traveling extensively and living in an RV with your entire family? In pop culture, this is depicted as a chaotic nightmare. But according to some family vloggers, it's a dream come true. My deep dive into this topic began with this TikTok. How we sleep in the trailer. This is where the little girls sleep. Here's the couch and Noah's sleeping on it. Here's where Enoch sleeps. Okay, many thoughts. This seems way too small for that many people. What about privacy or personal space? Are these kids miserable? And, and are the parents really enjoying this? As someone interested in the topics of van life and family vlogging, this is a fascinating crossover. By the way, I don't want to repeat myself too much in this video, so if you haven't seen my van life video, I would recommend checking that out. This is going to be a lot more about the family dynamics of RV life, whereas the van life one was more about the financial aspects and the housing crisis. So what is the typical nomadic RV family story? Similar to van life, boat life, whatever vehicle you choose, RV life is about seeking freedom, connecting with nature, traveling, and escaping the rat race. There are a whole spectrum of characters from the like hippie free thinker types. There can be anti-government, anti-establishment sentiments coming from the left and the right. So it's a mixed bag. I've also come across a lot of very religious Religious families, often with a lot of kids. Somebody please call Fundy Fridays because I cannot even begin to tackle that entire element of this topic. Anyway, these families do not want the traditional mainstream life. And that applies to their kids' educations as well. Obviously, if you're always traveling, your kids can't attend a physical school. So these kids are homeschooled and sometimes unschooled. Anyway, the overall narrative often goes something like this. We wanted to spend more time together as a family, go on adventures, and now our kids learn from doing and seeing rather than just reading textbooks. And I do get the appeal. I get it. Especially right now, it's so much uncertainty. People are working very, very hard just to live paycheck to paycheck. It's very understandable to want to go Alexander Supertramp and just go into the wild. So for a lot of these families, they're like, okay, we could like sell our house, buy an RV, and it would cost less than our whole lifestyle before. And to be clear, it is not cheap, but it can be cheaper for some families. And you get to spend time tons of time traveling with your kids. I've also noticed that a lot of these families have experienced some kind of loss or trauma. It could be death or illness in the family, something that shakes up your entire perspective on life and makes you totally shift your priorities. But most importantly, what do these parents do for work? How do they afford to do this? Many of these folks would identify as digital nomads, meaning they have online jobs and travel a lot. Some people have regular remote jobs, but most of what we see online are content creators and influencers naturally because they're the ones posting. Now, the term digital nomad to me carries a bit of a negative reputation. I think it reminds people of the privileged gentrifier types. To be fair, many 
many people who could be called digital nomads are barely making ends meet. They're just trying to live a simpler kind of lifestyle, though they may still be contributing to that international gentrification. But again, all this would be for another video to get really into it. And lastly, my critiques of these self-identified nomads are not directed toward and don't apply to traveling communities like the Roma, Romani, or Irish travelers. I think it's important to make the distinction between digital nomads and traveler communities who have historically faced a lot of discrimination, to say the least. It's a pretty stark contrast. In general, poor people get harassed for living in their vehicles, yet when white, middle-class families do it by choice, it's cool and aspirational. So with all of that, finally, let's get into our first example, our first case study that I found. The family of nomads. This is a family of five. We have Jess and Dub and three kids who are 10, 11, and 15. They have 2 million followers on TikTok, 760,000 on YouTube. We are an average family living an extraordinary life. After our oldest child was sick for five years, we knew we needed a change. We decided to sell our house and hit the road to live a life of adventure and travel. So their family has been living the RV life since September 2020. Apparently they thought of the idea, bought an RV, and moved into it within a week and a half. That's quick. From what I've seen, the mom, Jess, who runs all the social media, didn't seem to be posting as a content creator until they started this. Their oldest TikTok post was from March 2021. By June, Jess specifically said that they were making money as content creators using affiliate marketing and sponsorships. Now, my first impressions, I watched their entire TikTok. It was a lot, but they really do seem like a pretty average white American family. Before I get into some of my criticisms, I will say I'm happy to see that these parents seem pretty supportive of their children. They let their kids, you know, handle their own style, their expression, and they let them choose whether they wanna be featured in videos or not. So those are things I appreciate. But let's get into the interesting bits, and we have to start with the sleeping situation because as I said, that very first TikTok I saw was what threw me down the rabbit hole. This seems to be the most interesting thing across all RV family videos. The most popular question, people wanna see tours of the space and see especially how multiple kids fit and sleep and live in an RV. So I think at worst was that first example of the family of 12. Kids were in what looked like little drawers. Kids were sleeping on mats on the floor. And that creator got flooded with a lot of comments naturally of people being like, that seems really crowded, really uncomfortable, claustrophobic. And I definitely agree with those comments. I think it's totally fair to have some concerns, especially that many kids in a small space. What do the kids hate about their bunk? The thing that I hate about my bed is it's like a little coffin down here. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. We get an insurmountable amount of hate for our kids' bunks that people say look like coffins. Now, I watched a whole spectrum of different setups, and at best, you have families that have way less kids and therefore more space and bigger beds for each of them. I think traveling like this as a vacation for a few weeks max or even like a whole summer can be fine. I also think this kind of lifestyle is a lot more feasible if you have children that are under school age. If you have like a couple
couple of toddlers, it makes more sense because they're gonna be at home with their parents anyway. But I do think when you have three plus kids, especially when they're getting older, it just gets really hard to fit them all comfortably in an RV. And not just like physically, but just mental space, emotional space. So going back to the family of nomads, initially they had this bunk bed style setup with curtains and they have since upgraded their RV so they have better beds and storage. Currently, the two younger kids have these queen bunk beds, which is pretty good space in terms of bunk beds. And the oldest kid, Addison, chose to have this loft area, which is nice. It's separate, but it's been very controversial because it's a tiny loft with very little headroom. They cannot sit up, so they're very cramped. They do have a smaller twin bed because there's no room for, you know, a bigger mattress. And they've got some of their stuff in corners, you know, trying to make the space their own as all of these kids do. But I, I did have a similar reaction to all the comments that I saw where people were like, this does not look ideal. And I agree. I don't think it's ideal. But honestly, this still seems like kind of the best it could be in an RV with multiple kids. To be clear, I'm not making fun of any of these setups. Some of them are a bit funny in the sense that like, it kind of requires body contortioning to get in there and watching the parents attempt it is a little funny. But I think it's important to remember that this is by choice. Like the family of nomads sold their 2,700 square foot, four bedroom home and chose to live in this RV. So that's what I mean when I say like, this is not ideal. Obviously there are many families who live in a smaller place because that's the best they can afford. Absolutely understand that. But that raises the question, even at its best, is this an ideal environment for three tweens or teens? Now, RV parents face a lot of this criticism and they often respond to it. They tend to argue, we only sleep in our bedroom, so it's okay that they're a little small. The kids have plenty of space to hang out, do their homeschool work in other parts of the camper. And of course, you've got plenty of outdoor space. The whole world is your backyard, right? And okay, maybe, sure. But this all made me wonder a lot about the importance of privacy and personal space in terms of child development, and especially as kids grow into teenagers. I saw a lot of comments from teenagers saying, I would hate this. I need my own space. I need to be able to close or lock a door so I can be alone or talk to my friends or cry. Especially as a teenager, like that's when most of us are like peak angsty. We hate our parents. We hate our families. I mean, it's normal. It's common. You're going through uncomfortable things, puberty. You feel awkward. Like you just want to be alone. And I just don't know if like having a little bunk bed with a curtain, like hostel style, really meets that ideal threshold of having your own space. And I can relate, okay? Like some people were like, have you never shared a room before? Growing up, I always shared a room with at least one or two of my siblings. So I think I have some good experience with this. Now, did I like sharing a room with multiple siblings? No, I, I always wished I could have my own space. I wanted more privacy. I felt embarrassed that I had to share a room when a lot of my friends had their own rooms, but it just wasn't financially feasible for my family. You know, my family couldn't afford a five plus bedroom house where I grew up. Though I will say my parents gave the three of us the biggest bedroom. It was really like a triple dorm room in college. We each had our own like corner, our own little section at least. But the biggest thing for me was like my siblings and I weren't always home 
all the time. We would go to school, we'd go to our jobs, we'd go to our friends' houses. So there were times where I would get to have space in my room to myself. And that brings us to another common criticism or question that people have for RV families. What about friends? Do these kids have friends? Do they get to socialize? Do they have any sense of like stable community? And again, I think back to my kid or teenage self. If I were homeschooled, living in a small space with my entire family, I would have absolutely lost my mind, okay? So when it comes to friends, RV parents tend to say, the kids make friends all over the country. They are more socialized now than they ever have been. Our family is very close together. And yes, they do share a bedroom, but they spend so much more time outside because our backyard is constantly changing. This has been hands down the best thing that we have ever done for our family. The kids have tons of friends. We all have lots of friends. We're always around people, hanging out with other kids all the time, which may be true. It may be true that you are in proximity to a lot of other children. However, I know that kids often have a hard time socializing and making friends, even in a standard school setting where they have like dozens or hundreds of kids to choose from. And I just imagine it might be hard to make or maintain friendships, especially if you're randomly seeing your friends, you go your separate ways for months, that just seems a little difficult, you know? Before we continue, this portion of today's video is sponsored by Scentbird. With Scentbird, you can pick a new designer fragrance to try every month. Full-size bottles of perfume or cologne can be very expensive, so this can be a great way for you to try out something before you go for a full bottle. If you're more of a beginner with fragrances, this can help you figure out what sort of scents you like, or perhaps you're a fragrance lover and you just like to switch things up. I feel like I'm constantly still figuring out my taste in everything. And in general, I'm a fan of buying minis or samples, especially in beauty products, just to minimize any potential waste or product regret. So let's get into it. You might be wondering, Tiffany, what is your signature scent? Everyone at home is demanding to know. I actually have never really had one, aside from maybe wearing the same body spray throughout middle school. Hence why I am excited to try out a few new scents and see if maybe I can find the one. So first up, this is Osovere Vanilla Embers. Vanilla is definitely a comfort scent for me. I mean, vanilla is vanilla, but it's a classic for good reason. I've got to show you the cases. These are definitely very portable. It's nice to know that they're protected. You just twist it, pop it open, boom. And look at this, good size. It's a 30 day supply. Yeah, I just really like this one. It's a classic, it's very warm, and it might be my favorite already. Next up, we have Good Habit Rise. This one is definitely more sweet and floral. You've got the raspberry and pear. I like this one. I could definitely wear this as an everyday scent. So if you're looking to try out a new scent anytime soon, check out Scentbird. They carry over 600 fragrances from a whole range of brands, indie to luxury. You can use my code Tiffany to get 55% off your first month with Scentbird. That brings you to about $8 available in the US and Canada. Thank you, Scentbird. And my last concern about this is how isolating this lifestyle can be. Again, the kids may be around a lot of other people around their family all the time, but as we know, you can be around a ton of people and still feel lonely or still feel trapped. Ideally, all of these families get along great, Everyone's having a wonderful, healthy time. But I know like for anyone living in a toxic or unhealthy or abusive households or environment, 
being stuck in a small space with that family is one of the worst things that could happen to them. We saw this through COVID lockdowns, unfortunately. Sometimes school can be the only escape that kids have in getting to have some space away from their family dynamic or to get to be with their friends. So that element is what I would worry about them most. And I'm not saying this applies to any of the specific families that I'm talking about in this video, but just in general, I think that level of isolation can be potentially harmful. Continuing on, um, what happens if the kids really don't like this? What if they hate this? Do they really get a choice? RV parents say often, yes, we, you know, we communicate as a family, we are democratic about this, we are open and honest about our feelings, which I hope they are, that would be great. But then they say, but yeah, our kids love it. The kids all love it. They want to live in the RV. Going back to the family of nomads, this is probably one of the most infamous videos from their TikTok. For Addison's 15th birthday, the only thing they wanted was to go to a hotel. So I rented us a condo for the weekend and it was really nice to have a change of pace. Addison just wanted to hang out with the family and watch movies and play Pokemon cards with their brother and sister. I will say by the end, however, every single one of us missed our bed. We really take it for granted that we get to travel with our bed everywhere we go. All they wanted for their birthday was to stay in a hotel. Jess, the mom, um, tried to explain or justify this. You know, she was like, well, a lot of people get excited to stay in a hotel. It's fun once in a while. But I think the difference is for like a regular vacation or a trip, staying in the hotel is not the exciting part. That's just where you happen to be sleeping when you're, you know, not at Disneyland or whatever. But the fact that the hotel was Addison's whole wish is a pretty strong implication. I also think it's pretty telling that Jess was kind of preemptively defensive. Like the whole, oh, we all missed our beds. We love traveling with our beds. The fact that she included that means that she probably anticipated getting comments like, mm, maybe this means the kids don't really love the RV life. But also I just watched the extended vlog on YouTube. Jess actually missed her bed so much that she slept in the RV on the last night. To be fair, she has multiple autoimmune diseases and everyone's got to get their sleep. I get it. But the kids really seem to enjoy the space, the bathtubs, everything about the hotel. They got like very excited about it. So I'm still not fully convinced. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. So my question for this family, and again, we definitely don't see everything. We only see what the parents choose to show. We don't know what the children really feel about any of this. And I don't think we should because I don't think these kids should be online in this capacity. But anyway, I do wonder personally, has this family outgrown the RV life? At this point, they have traveled for over two years. The kids are all getting older and growing. Is it perhaps time to settle into a more permanent home again? And I think these are important to highlight. I don't want to get into too much detail out of respect for this child, but in the last year, Addison has been in treatment for an eating disorder, was diagnosed with autism, and announced that they have they, them pronouns. That's a lot of changes, a lot to process mentally, physically, emotionally, and this is where a lot of the audience's concerns come from. People are wondering, is this teenager doing okay? Is this environment 
the best for them. The family of nomads has actually been stationary now for a couple months in Florida. They're still living in the RV, but they're just not traveling. And this is so Addison can get various therapies. They didn't specify what. It's not any of my business, really. And then handle any other medical appointments that they might need to. I also wonder, going back to the whole issue of like personal space and the importance of having your own privacy regarding Addison's autism and any sensory issues they might have. I just wonder if living in that sort of an environment in very close quarters with other people, it might be more difficult to cope with those sensory issues. And that's just one of many considerations that again, I don't know, but I'm just speculating. But overall, here's my theory. I think the parents love this lifestyle. Clearly they're the ones who chose it. I don't really like that they like just claims that Addison's illness, which by the way, this is a whole other thing, but Addison was diagnosed with PANS. And then once they were in remission, that's when the family decided to start RV life. So Jess cites Addison's medical issues as like the reason that the family did this. Our oldest daughter, who is now 14, was very, very sick for five years. We did not know if she would ever get better, and she did. And that puts things into a different perspective. The time that we have with our kids when they are young is so short, and we knew that we needed to make a change, and we wanted to make up for all that missed time that we did not get to have when she was sick. And I'm sure that is a component. I'm sure that that really changed their lives. But I also think Jess probably just loves the RV life and wants to do that. This could be an instance where what the parents want, they love the RV lifestyle, they love escaping the rat race, they like being content creators. Maybe all of that is clashing with what might be best for the family overall or what the kids might prefer. A commenter asked the family of nomads, what happens if the kids decided they didn't like the arrangement anymore? And she replied, we would have a convo with them about what we could switch up, but if anyone wants to stop traveling, we quit. Everyone loves it though. <laughs> and I'm like, hmm. If anyone wants to stop traveling, we quit. That is easier said than done because for a child to say, hey parents, I know you guys love this, but I personally don't and I would like to stop. That kid is probably going to feel a lot of guilt and pressure because you as a parent have now built a brand and your entire family's income currently comes from being a nomadic RV family. I think even kids are aware of that. So for them to even consider asking you to give that up, if I were a kid, I'd be worried, oh no, my parents aren't gonna have a job anymore. We can't do that. So this brings us to the anti-family vlogging section. These are my problems with monetizing your children and invading their privacy. I made some of my earliest internet analysis episodes back in like 2018 about family vloggers. I'm really glad to see that in recent years, we've had a huge movement, way more discussion about the ethics of this and what ways we could regulate this industry to at least try to minimize the harm that could be done with family vlogging. So when it comes to the family of nomads, I will give Jess credit because they do let the kids choose whether they want to participate in content or not. Often people will comment asking like, where's Addison? Where are the kids? And she'll just say, they didn't want to be filmed today, which is totally okay. And I am glad to see that. You'd think that would be the standard, but unfortunately, many family vloggers do force their kids to participate and perform. Another thing, Jess says the kids do get paid for helping with videos. That video caption says, the kids earn a percentage of everything we do. They keep some and put the rest in investment accounts, which is a bit vague. We don't know how much. What's the percentage? 
what's the arrangement, but at least we're seeing a family vlog channel talk about paying their kids for their labor, which is a start. But anyway, when I look at family vlogging content or mommy blogging, I like to consider would this account be popular and monetizable without the kids? Could the parents be the star of the account and would they still stay afloat? And to Jess's credit, I think most of their popular content is RV tours, tips and tricks. The videos featuring the kids are popular, but I still think the account could do well without the kids. Now, the question of whether they'd be popular if they also gave up on RV life is a bit of a tough one because that is really the entire brand. Family of nomads minus the family and the nomad. It would be a shift. It would be a rebrand. But I do think it's possible. And I'm sure Jess could do some other type of vlog or social media work if it came down to that. So at least there are options. Again, sometimes you see family channels that are purely based off of the children. The parents offer nothing. <laughs> and I'm glad that this situation is not the case. But a big part of my dislike of family vlogging is that I believe that kids should not bear the weight of being any part of the family breadwinners. This is a problem that we often see with actors and other child performers. Obviously, we've seen books like Jeanette McCurdy's that reflect on this whole experience and how painful and damaging it can be for your parent to be managing you and to be forcing you to be this figure and to be earning money to support the entire family. When it comes to social media, the kids of family vloggers or influencers just don't have the same protections as child actors would. And even then, those protections can fail. Like we saw in Jeanette McCurdy's case, there are instances where the parents of child performers still get to steal their money and the kids turn 18 and they have nothing. One of my favorite tech and social media writers, Morgan Sung, recently wrote this article about a Washington state law that aims to protect kids from being exploited in vlogs. The bill would quote, protect the interests of minor children featured on for-profit family vlogs by requiring separate protected funds for the children to access once they reach adulthood. And this is a very important addition. It would also grant children of influencers the right to request the permanent deletion of their likenesses, names, or photos from any platform where their parents posted monetized content of the kids. That is major, and I think that's a very, very important goal of regulation to give kids the power over their image. Again, these, these family vloggers, one of my biggest problems with them is that they're creating this massive digital footprint for their children who are not even of age. They cannot consent. Even if a kid says, oh yeah, I like being in videos, there's no way that they can understand or comprehend the scale or the ramifications of being featured in this kind of content. I'm really happy to see more and more influencers and celebrities who are not sharing their children's faces or names online. A lot of, you know, regular non-influencer types are also doing that. And I think it's a really important discussion to be had. And lastly, I'm reminding myself I'm on a microphone and I can be more mobile because I've kind of been standing in the same place. My last case study is the Paskowitz surfing family. This is a fascinating case study because it's pre-social media, so you don't have the family vlogger element of this, but it's another interesting example of parents being quite controlling and having very specific dreams or goals for their children, having a lot of children, and deciding let's all go into a bus or a van 
and let's adventure. So I found this family through the documentary Surfwise, which is from 2008. The dad, the patriarch of the family, is nicknamed Doc Paskowitz. He actually was very, very educated. He went to Stanford. He was a doctor. And his great passion in life was surfing. So at some point, he decided, I'm just going to go surf. I'm going to live that life. I am escaping the rat race of being a doctor. And I'm just going to go ride the freaking waves. He met his wife, Juliette Paskowitz. They had nine children between 1959 and 1973, and they raised the children in campers. And they would travel and they would surf. As a family, everyone learned how to surf. The kids went and did surf competitions. They later taught surfing. It sounds like a dream to some. And that's how the Surfwise documentary goes. In the beginning, you're kind of seeing the idyllic. It's like, it's like a little oh, what a weirdo eccentric family, how cool. They're living the life, they're free, they're wild. And then the second half reveals, oh, there was actually a lot of trauma and narcissistic parenting going on here. And maybe the kids weren't doing as well as they thought. The kids were, I would say, unschooled. They didn't have any sort of formal schooling. And the mom said in the documentary, it sounds good to say we were one step ahead of the truant officer, but that didn't really happen because if you don't go into the system, they don't even know you exist. So yeah, a lot of these children did not even have official government documents, let alone schooling history. So they definitely were slipping through the cracks of the school system. There was nobody really keeping track of uh, their learning. Doc Paskowitz was very into doing what the animals do, living in a natural way. For example, he noticed that gorillas don't eat the skin off of an apple. And then he told his family, we're no longer going to eat apple skins either. The family could not have have sugar or bread. They ate gruel, soup, and fish they caught. And they were extremely poor, basically by choice, because Doc thought money was evil. He, again, was a doctor, and sometimes he would work um, in small communities. He would come in and do a bit of medical work. But he didn't want his family to get greedy by having too much. So he pretty much chose to keep them in poverty for the sake of kind of that like self-sacrificial kind of lifestyle. Doc believed that this deprivation, the challenge, was the route to a good life. Wisdom is about experience and living, meeting people and doing things. That's what my kids had a lot of. And that sounds like the classic unschooling philosophy. We don't care about textbooks. My kids learn through doing. Which again, sounds good in theory, but like when your children literally are denied a regular basic education, perhaps that's not the best. But yes, as I said, this lifestyle was not the hippie dream that some people might have assumed it was. The contrast of their free lifestyle with the reality of how strict and controlled it really was. Almost all of the siblings by the time they grew up and moved out ended up hating their parents for some period of time and even hated each other because they grew up fighting with their family and they had no escape from that family group, which can, you know, cause a lot of conflict. A lot of the kids, even as adults, were really still struggling with not having basic educations. They did not feel like they were prepared for regular life. And the worst thing is, uh, Doc in the film still blamed the kids for this. He said, they're lazy. Most kids didn't have the opportunity that my kids had. One of the sad disappointments is that my kids didn't find out for themselves the difference between education and knowledge. So that really sums it up. That was probably one of the worst examples I found of this sort of RV family philosophy. But yeah, a lot of the similar themes that I've talked about in this video, one of the, the main takeaways was like, again, is this lifestyle your dream? As the parent, 
you dream of being free. You dream of having all these free kids in nature, adventuring. And that idea might sound nice, but often, or from what I've seen in reality, it can turn into the opposite. It can be a horrible, isolating, traumatic environment that your children do not appreciate. If anything, they might have to work their whole lives to undo some of the damage from that. So that's the end of the video. Thank you very much for watching. Thank you again to Scentbird for sponsoring this video. You can use my code Tiffany to get 55% off your first month of Scentbird. And I wanna say thank you to my patrons. If you want to support my content, you can go to patreon.com slash tiffanyferg. I make a bonus video every month and we do a monthly live stream. Extra thank yous to my executive producer tier. We have Uluface, Abby Hayden, Eric Danielson, Freshly Laundered, Jackie King, Jill Hoffman, Julie Leva, Matthew Gray, Megan Collins, Megcat33, Nicole Louise, Sarah Kemi, Tom Walker, Truffa, and VivianOladon.com. Thank you so very much for being patrons. Stay tuned for future internet analysis videos. Okay, thanks. Bye.